1: I wake up the next morning to knocks on the door. Uh, All him, him and his buddies all come to get me because I just robbed the place. Uh, And I gave away like $2,000 worth of free drinks. And I had like $5,000 cash in my pocket. And um, throughout my whole story, there's always been somebody that has stood in the gap for me. And it just happened to be the guy that I robbed. He gave me a choice. He said, you can either go to jail or you got 24 hours to get my money back. And you got to go to an AA meeting for every 90 meetings in 90 days.
2: Upside of 40, conversations for men on the upside of 40 and beyond. From talk about getting over and living with a traumatic event in your life. It's very difficult to to deal with. Our traumatic memory can lay dormant for years and years and years. Through relationships. I've seen patterns over and over and over. They're real quick to interrupt and go, well, wait a minute. This has the trend line, but the way out of it is just give them some room to breathe and give them some room to feel heard. To finally taking that leap into another career. There was a little bit of fear, but it just, it just, it was, it was time. Even grilling the perfect steak. Um, they cook really even, so you get a, you know, even temperature across the whole steak. And so much more. Welcome to Upside of 40. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Upside of 40. Great to have you with us, and I hope wherever you may be listening in the world, you are healthy, happy, and safe. You just heard the words of our guest this episode, Richard Kaufman, who has been to hell and back dealing with alcohol and drug addictions, but is now clean and sober for many years and is now committed to helping our nation's veterans. We'll have his story coming up. First, I want to thank you for tuning in. If you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, please subscribe. Give us a five-star rating if you like what you hear, and we'd also love a review. Believe me, it helps out a great deal in spreading the word about this podcast. Also, follow us on Twitter at Upside of 40, and I would love to hear from you. Email me at upsideof40 at gmail.com. All right, let's get to it. Richard Kaufman spent 24 years in the military, but it was not a career spent on foreign lands engaged in conflicts around the globe. His service was spent right here in the U.S., in the Army, and the National Guard. But uh, those more than two decades protecting our country did not begin well as he battled his own enemies within, addicted to alcohol and drugs, but a life-altering experience uh, set him on a new path of sobriety and helping other veterans fight their own demons. Richard Kaufman, welcome to Upside of
1: Forty. How are you? Oh, I'm I'm so blessed to be here. Thank you so much for having me on.
2: Well, I'm uh, I'm glad you uh, uh, taken the time to be with us. I really think it's a really really important topic. Uh, a few of them, not only because it deals with addictions, but also Uh, the great Americans who serve our country every day to protect us and uh, keep the uh, incredible freedoms that we experience here in this country. And uh, I, you know, I just summarized your life in a couple of sentences. Obviously, there is much more to the story. Uh, Richard, tell us what led you to devoting a big part of your life now to helping veterans.
1: Oh, well, there's like three parts to my story. But um, the first part was I grew up and to an addicted household. My mother was an addict. And um, I became, had my first drink at 12. I was a full-blown alcoholic wow, at the age 12. of 13. Yeah,
2: that's incredible. And,
1: uh, yeah, and then um, I joined the military, and not only did I become, uh, I, was, I, I joined at 17. So not only did I become an alcoholic, I became a drug addict at the same time. Wow. And they party in everywhere. Uh, the military decided they didn't want me anymore. So they threw me out for being a uh, drug addict and alcoholic.
2: Yeah, now, uh, uh, obviously, it went on from there. And I know in your, uh, when you talk about your story that you became a professional, uh, <laughs> I guess, addict when you got to the military. Tell us about that journey in the military, what happened, and then how you turned your life around.
1: Well, when I turned tur- se- I joined when I turned 17 and I shipped. So when I got to my first duty station, which was Fort Hood, um, I was the young kid on the block uh-huh. and I'm hanging out with all 25 and 30 year olds. So I learned how to be- become a professional drinker at that time. And then um, I found a way that to beat the drug test is if you take uh, LSD, they cannot drug test for it. So I became an, uh, an LSD addict. And, um, so I just, you know, partied every weekend, gotten so much trouble, um, got busted a, a bunch of times. And then the final straws, they just said, all right, you've had enough. We don't need, we don't need you anymore. And I was on the, I was on the next plane home.
2: Wow. And uh, so at this point, uh, uh, I don't think you'd reached rock bottom. Would you just, uh, you left the
1: military and then you just kept at it? Um, Yeah, I I went home. Um, Well, I had to BS my mom saying they let me out early. Um, And, but I, you know, I didn't tell her that I got thrown out. So she let me live with her for a while. But, you know, after traveling the world and partying, you know, weeks at a time, going home going to bed at 10 o'clock at night and because my father you know he got up at five o'clock every morning and worked seven days a week um he wasn't going to put up with that so they booted me out and Sean I want to say that I'm probably the only person you'll ever have on your show that has been thrown out of a crack house oh you got thrown out for your behavior (laughs) uh, that's how bad it was and uh, yeah and because and I got thrown out of a crack house, like I said. Um, my mom said I would able to I would be able to move back home if I went to school. So I went to school to be a bartender. It's not a good idea. Yeah, especially graduated when you graduated top uh, of class already. <laughs> and uh, the first job I got was New Year's Eve, nineteen eighty eight to eighty nine. And the gentleman that I uh, took the job from was a Newark police officer. Everything was going great. Um, drinking and uh, giving away drinks. And I wake up the next morning to knocks on the door. Uh, All is him. Him and his buddies all come to get me because I just robbed the place. Uh, And I gave away like $2,000 worth of free drinks. And I had like $5,000 cash in my pocket. And um, throughout my whole story, there's always been somebody that has stood in the gap me and it just happened to be the guy that I robbed he gave me a choice he said you can either go to jail or you got 24 hours to get my money back and you got to go to an AA meeting for the every 90 meetings in 90 days and I hit something like 300 meetings in a row wow and I haven't had a drink since that day uh January 2nd 1989 wow so that's uh, my go ahead first start yeah
2: uh, before we get too far into that, uh, I, I want to mention um, you know, what that military experience was like for you early on, because I know you, you say that back then, and I, I, I know there are still issues today in the military regarding addictions, uh, both alcohol and, and drug use, but what was it like back in the 80s when, when you were in the Army?
1: Um, back then it was, I guess it was like the eighties in the civilian world, you know, it was that whole, you know, wall street era where everybody's living large, um, you know, doing coke and, you know, doing all this stuff. But, you know, there was, uh, there was written rules that there are not today. Like if me and you had a problem, if me and Sean had a problem, we would go behind a tank, take our uniforms off beat the snot out of each other and go have a beer afterwards and talk about it. Yeah. Now everything is paperwork and, and there's not a whole lot of that. Um, Were you able to make a deal with just a handshake and your word? Mm-hmm. It's not like that anymore.
2: Yeah. Uh, how easy was it though, to, uh, to use uh, and abuse alcohol and drugs at that time in, in the military?
1: Well, you know, everybody I I hung out with were all drinkers. Um, For some reason, I started going to clubs. And I guess back then I was good looking back back in the day. Um, I used to go to, you know, get off work at five o'clock and I would be at the club from seven o'clock in the morning till like two or three in the morning. You know, so um, drugs were just available to me twenty four seven and half the time I didn't have to pay for them.
2: wow, so uh, when you get bounced out of there, you go home, um, you find work and uh, fortunately <laughs> I guess at the time it probably didn't seem that way to you, but fortunately, somebody, as you said, uh was there in the gap, and yeah. this uh, individual i mean it was a police officer, he certainly could have come down on you, and uh, I mean you robbed him, it wasn't like you robbed somebody. Uh, he knew or or somebody in the neighborhood I mean you you took money out of his pocket uh, what was it about this individual do you think that he saw something in you that that had some kind of promise or a chance for a life to have besides ending
1: up in jail I don't you know to this day I don't even have a clue and I wish I would know who this gentleman was I would take him out for dinner and, have that conversation with him, but really? for some reason.
2: you didn't stay in touch with him or any, uh, have any real,
1: no, I mean, I was, you know, you know, I was 17, you know, well, well, back then I was, I just turned 20, I was 20. Uh-huh. So back then I was just, you know, I'm, I'm scared for my life.
2: Yeah,
1: And um, so, but, you know, I, I guess he just talked to my uncle and my, my father and he, you know, they said, you know, this kid, you know, he's a white boy and if he goes into the prop into the jails down in Newark, New Jersey, you know, bad things are going to happen. Mm-hmm. And I guess he just figured, you know, maybe take a chance on this kid. You know, maybe he's the one kid that's going to get it. Yeah. And thank God I, uh, I was blessed to be able to get it.
2: Well, uh you said you went on a stretch there with AA meetings for, you know, hundreds of them, but I think the requirement, what do you say you had to do 90 and 90 days, uh, did they check up on you? How did they, uh, you know,
1: keep I, actually had, you? So, I actually right. had to sign in every meeting that I went to the first 90 days. And, and then he, he followed up. Cause I was looking at five years for grand larceny. Wow. So, so, I mean,
2: obviously it had to be something though, uh, that, I mean, what kept you going, uh, besides the threat that you're going to go to jail, but what was it that happened during that experience uh, that really did change your life, because you know most people uh, they have relapses, it may take uh, three, four, five times or more before it finally kicks in what What made the difference for you?
1: I had nothing else in my life. I had nothing going for me. Um, you know I had a girlfriend at the time, and that wasn 't really working out that 's when I got you know thrown out of the crack house. Um, I was homeless for a while, so sometimes that would be the only um, place that I, I would be able to get a hot cup of coffee and some donuts
2: mm-hmm.
1: so sometimes it wasn't that i wanted to go was just something that sometimes i just i just had to go mm-hmm. and it, you know thank god i stuck with it but you know i wanted for your people that are listening um there's a difference between being sober and being dry um and i was dry for the first maybe ten years of my life, you know, when I got sober. Uh, I was drive for the first ten years until the morn until the afternoon of uh nine eleven. Mm-hmm. And that's in the night of nine eleven is when I actually got sober. Wow. Um,
2: so you you end up going back into the military. Um, was that uh, you know something that because you did like the military was it you really had nothing else going on?
1: Uh, well, I had an uncle. I guess had I, you go back. Well, I had you know his uncle. He meant a lot to me, and as I get older, you know he passed away um, years ago. But he means a lot to me as I get older, more and more every day. Mm-hmm. But um, he he said something a snide remark. You know, oh, you'll never make a career out of it. You're not man enough or something like that. And it always just stuck in, they say, stuck in my craw. So I decided to try to get back in again. Um, I joined the National Guard. They let me back in, but it was a big, uh, big cake. I had to do a lot to get back in. I had to get letters from all kinds of people. And, uh, but thank God they let me back in. Yeah. Uh, I joined the New Jersey National Guard and I joined the Pennsylvania National Guard, and I had problems both in the New Jersey National Guard, Pennsylvania National Guard, and the South Carolina National. I had places everywhere I went because I was—I still had that chip on my shoulder. I just wasn't drinking anymore, uh-huh. and I, you know, I had nothing else to fall back on. So they were about to throw me out at the end of September of two thousand and one again, for for the second time.
2: So you, um, you're you clean at this point, though, right? Um, well, you know, like I
1: said, you know, and I, I don't know if I'm allowed to say a cuss word on your show. Go um, right ahead. <laughs> probably not to. Um, But the difference between being dry and being sober is yeah. when you're dry, you're just an, an asshole that doesn't drink. Mm-hmm. And when you're sober, you're no longer an asshole and you no longer drink. Yeah. So I was just still, you could still be, so I was just, yeah. So I was just a total asshole. You know, even when I joined a second time, I didn't really appreciate, you know, being in. And, uh, I got in trouble a bunch of times, got promoted, got booted, got promoted, got busted a bunch of times. And then, um, I joined the South Carolina national guard me being a Yankee, you know how it is being a Yankee moving down south. Uh, they don't like us as it is. And then me having an attitude didn't ingratiate me much to them at all. And I now missed so the move.
2: Did, you said it may, it wasn't easy for you to get back in. Um, so why did you not realize that the opportunity you're being
1: given? Um, I guess back then, you know up until the evening of 911 i never realized um i was always that guy that the world owed me something you know um because i was you know raised poor because i you know lived on the streets that the world owed me something mm-hmm. and um and i just had that big chip on my shoulder you know if you told me you know Rich, you know, go outside. The sky's blue, and I'm going to go outside and say, "No, it's red." Yeah. Just, to, just to be that that guy.
2: Yeah. you know. So, so, what finally changed it for you? Where you, where you really did turn it around?
1: Uh, what happened was, um, as you, where, where we're sitting right now um, at the kitchen table, I can actually see the Freedom Tower from where I'm, I'm sitting. Wow. And uh, this is where I I grew up in this area. So we all knew somebody Mm -hmm. who were in the towers that day. And um, I was in the South Carolina National Guard at this time, about to be thrown out again. And um, my ex-girlfriend says, you got to come see this. And and I watched, you know, the first tower got hit. Then the second tower got hit. And then the Pentagon got hit. And something broke inside me because here I am in the military and I can't help anybody. I can't do anything for anybody. And, um, they say sometimes, um, God will break you. Mm -hmm. And I became a broken man and I actually wrote that in my book. Um, I just crumbled into the chair and cried for hours and, uh, I called my company commander. I called my first sergeant. I said, listen, I said, you know, something happened to me. I don't know what it is. I want to come talk to you. Mm-hmm. And I came and went in that same day. I talked to them. And like I said, I was about to be thrown out again. Um, they seen something different in me. And uh, they decided to keep me. Mm-hmm. And uh, that day is when I dedicated the rest of my life to trying to help people that can't help themselves. And that's when the whole change started uh, coming about, yeah. was on the evening of 9-11. Yeah,
2: I see the hat you're wearing says uh, it says coach on it. And I know that's something that's very special to you. Tell us about why you wear that, that
1: hat. Um, well, it's not that. I mean, um, the reason why I wear a hat, because um, when I first started this two years ago, I wrote, I uh, was on a podcast and we were talking um, about how I've been in the health and fitness industry for 30 years. I've worked with guys from the WWE, NBA, NFL. And then I started telling them my backstory and he and I kept trying to go back and tell him, you know, what I've, you know, the health and fitness. He says, well, I want you to talk about, you know, the stuff you've been through. Because people need to hear, you know, comeback stories, and you're like the ultimate comeback story, mm-hmm. and that's how this whole comeback coach thing started. And um, there was two people when I first started this. I reached out to uh, the first person I re- well, person people that I reached out to was uh, Dana Reeve mm-hmm. of the Christopher Reeve Foundation, mm-hmm. and I asked them if I can use the quote their quote in my opening pages of my book, which they, they, they did, which was amazing. And then I, um, I talked to, uh, Chris Kyle's wife. I know everybody knows American sniper. Um, and I talked to his wife and I talked to his family and I said, from now on every interview I do, I'm going to wear a hat in honor of Chris because Chris lost his life trying to help another soldier. with post-traumatic stress disorder. Mm -hmm. And that's why I wear this every day, and that's why I ask people to ask me about it so it never gets forgotten who Chris was.
2: So uh, when did the thought... I mean, uh, obviously, you said your life changed, uh, you know, uh, around 9-11. But when did it uh, really get to the point where you said, you know, I want to devote a big part of my life to helping other veterans who, because you, you know, the struggle of uh, addiction, whatever it might be. And uh, you know, uh, PTSD and alcoholism and uh, drug use uh, we, we are losing veterans every single day. Um, I I don't know if people were as aware of it back then, but what, uh, what was the decision process for you? And then, and what did you start doing?
1: Well, what happened was, this is the third part of my story. Um, I moved back to New Jersey, joined the New Jersey National Guard. We're moving out for our first annual training. <clears throat> a vehicle breaks down ahead of me. <clears throat> now, I've never worn my Kevlar in a Home in, in V, probably almost never. Mm-hmm. For some reason, God told me to put the Kevlar on today, and I, and I, I was wearing it. So the vehicle broke down. I got out of my vehicle to help ground guide the vehicle, try to back it up. And it was a young, a young private. Um, instead of him hitting the brakes, he hit the gas. Oh. He ran over my head and he ran over the whole right side of my body. Wow. And I became blind in this. I had an ocular stroke and, uh, What happened was the military decided, listen, you can't shoot, so we don't need you. So they uh, medically discharged me. But meantime, um, waiting for the medical discharging, um, I started reading a lot of books. And I keep hearing this guy's name, Gary V, Gary V, Gary V. So I started, um, you know, Googling him and all that stuff, reading his books. And that's when I decided, it's like, you know what, maybe I should start telling my story and getting it out there through social media. Mm -hmm. And I actually got to spend 10 minutes with Gary V about two years ago. And that's when it all just started, you know, the book came out. And that's when I started doing podcast interviews just to um, get the word out that, you know, a veteran, you know, doesn't have, to be alone. I could be that guy that'll be there to talk to, or, you know, not even, you know, even if they don't talk to me, but if they see my story and if they know that, you know, they're not alone Mm -hmm. because everybody hears this number 22, you know, it's everywhere.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, The real numbers are 35, 35 first responders, including 22 veterans and two active duty soldiers commit suicide every day. And that's including police officers, firefighters, and corrections officers. And we're losing those 35 every single day. So if I could just get the word out there, just, you know, that talk, you know, talk, if you love a veteran, if you know a veteran, you know, just get the word out there, you know, just talk to them. You know, sometimes they don't need, you know, a whole speech. They just need somebody to talk to and you know, tickle their ears a little bit. And that's, I'm, I'm trying to be that guy that's willing to be there to tickle it, have their ears tickled or bend their ear a little bit, like they say, like the old folks
0: say. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming.
1: No, Lucky Land Casino with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free. at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are
2: waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So, uh, why do you think that it those numbers are so high? Because we're talking daily. That that adds up to uh, some big numbers every year. Uh, why do you think that we're seeing? So many, and, and certainly the times are not helping now. When we talk about first responders and and uh, what we're seeing happening in this country right now, but but why do you think those numbers uh, are so high, and and it and uh, you know they're going to keep going up if we don't do something? Well,
1: um, I had uh, about a, about two three weeks ago. I had a police officer on my show,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and we were talking, and I asked him the same question. I'm like, you know. What is it? Why? He's like, well, he's, he's like, let me tell you a story. He says A couple weeks ago, I I get a call. There's a quadruple homicide, and three of them are children.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. I have to go home, and my kids want to, want to love on me. My wife wants to know how my day was. How do I explain that to them? He says, I have nobody to talk to, you know, and it's weird because then he started telling me other statistics like that. um, The average age of an American male that dies in America, in the United States, is 78 years old, 75 Mm -hmm. corrections officers, the age of 59.
2: Hmm. Think about that. Yeah. That's
1: That's 16, 18 years difference. Right. And I think it's because, you know, there's this, um, stigma that if, if you know, we we go for help, that we're soft, and where I see it as Still. a of strength, yeah. to go yeah. for
2: help, yeah, and that's probably the you know, and as they continue to try and get that word out, um, and you know, and, and I guess you could describe a lot of it as, as PTSD that, uh, you know, people somehow think you have to go to war in many cases to experience that, and that is by. <laughs> Uh, definition is, is so un, un, incredibly untrue.
1: Um, yeah, and like, you know, Most of the people that I've talked to, I mean, saying, you know, not military or not um, police officers or anything like that, if they're acting out as an adult, it's usually something that happened between the ages of three and 13.
0: Hmm.
1: So, you know, they're dealing with trauma that has nothing to do with military or police officers, and then if you become a police officer or if you become a first responder, now you're doubling up on everything.
2: Yeah.
1: Or in the military, so, and you're going, you know yeah whatever you, you, know, you know actually
2: involved in conflict yeah. You
1: know, so it's hard for them to you know have somebody. That's why you know like there's they call it the thin blue line for a reason. You know, because brothers can talk to brothers, just like, you know, I have a lot of friends that were in the professional wrestling industry, just like you. Um, there are certain things that they will not go past the locker room doors. Yeah. Same thing with the military and the police department. Right. Like a wrestler will talk to another wrestler, but he won't talk to somebody out in public. Yeah. Same thing that happens with, uh, you know, a lot of veterans and a lot of police officers. Yeah.
2: Well, I think a lot of people uh, feel that that is part of the problem because when they do have people that don't belong in those professions, because of that code, they they aren't able to weed them out. But that's a, an entirely different topic. But at the same yeah. time, it magnifies everything because they do keep it to themselves. And then there's this kind of man code where you don't talk about these personal issues to each other because you're all, you know, uh, and I'm sure this is with female officers, too. There's no difference here. Uh, it, it has to do with the profession. But, uh, and it really does come down to this to PTSD. That's what they're experiencing. Uh, I think we've touched on it, but what are some of the biggest misconceptions that, that you've learned about through your experiences with these people? And what do people need to understand more about uh, PTSD and what these people go through?
1: Well, you know a lot of this like you know your show is talking about people after forty, you know most police officers that get in early they retire forty four forty five same thing with the veterans. so what happens you know after twenty years you know you 're out on the streets you know you're keeping the um you have a mission and you 're forty four forty five years old, and you don 't have a mission anymore,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and I think that 's one of the biggest issues that I see with the military police officers is when they get off duty or when they retire, they don't have a mission and now they don't have anybody to talk to.
2: Yeah. And also, and and also what about, uh, because when you're involved in that mission, uh, you don't take time to deal with any of this. And then when you're suddenly not doing it anymore and maybe have more time on your hands, then you'll see, you know, all the stuff that you said, yeah, I'll, I'll, that was awful. That was an unbelievable experience, but I could put that away somewhere. Well, it's going to come out at some point And it seems that, uh, this happens later in life and, and why we are, are seeing that. I mean, is that a big part of it too?
1: Yeah. Cause you know, you're, you know, it's kind of like, like I said, I keep bringing it back to wrestling because I'm, I'm a big fan. Yeah. It's kind of like when you're out of the game, the game passes you by. Mm-hmm. And you're any just watching yeah,
2: yeah. you know
1: any yeah. sport, yeah, and you're just you know I just had a, I was talking to a professional football player uh, last week, you know and it changes your perspective on everything, so when you you know you're out of the you know when you're out of the um the game of you know whatever you are, whether you're a veteran, whatever you're a police officer, you know, and all you have is time to think, yeah, you know you're not doing anything else because you don't know anything else. You know, you've been carrying that same gun and that same badge for 25, 30 years. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden you don't have anything else in your life because, you know, most veterans and police officers, their divorce rates are like triple what, um, you know, the regular civilian population is. So, you know, a lot of these guys are just, you know, they're sitting home and, all they're doing is thinking about everything that happened in the past. And unfortunately, a lot of them have a loaded weapon sitting in the house and alcohol usually involved. Yeah.
2: And also, Mm -hmm. uh, as you mentioned that their life completely changes, they're on their own, at least even if they had these issues, uh, they felt they were around others that uh, understood whether they talked about it or not. They were around people that uh, they knew knew what was going on in their heads and now they don't even have that anymore. Uh, and we, and you know, and we've become a lot more aware of it. You hear a lot about PTSD, but is it as big a problem as ever today?
1: I think it is a bigger problem than ever, but I think because now we just, before, like I was talking to my wife the other day and she had a uncle that was, uh, got hurt in World War II, and they just considered he was shell-shocked. Right. Or, you know, he had mental issues. And, but now they just put a name to it.
2: Right.
1: You know, but I think now that there's, there's more help out there now, I think that there ever has been, I just think we have to be ready to get the help. You know, because if you're not ready, you know, they say in the rooms of AANA, you know, somebody's floor is somebody else's ceiling, you know, so if you're not ready to get help, it doesn't matter who you talk to, they're not going to get any kind of help.
2: Yeah. And, and we, we uh, saw just how horrific the VA system was, uh, you know, five, six years ago. And it, and it, uh, it it seems that they they have paid a lot of attention, attention to it uh, as of late to try and make it better. Uh, But do you feel from what you see, is our government doing more to help our veterans? who are dealing with this, uh, with PTSD as well as alcohol and drug addiction?
1: Well, you know, you could talk to a thousand people and you'll get a thousand different answers. Um, My opinion is I have nothing but great things to say about the VA here in New Jersey, especially where I go. Uh, It was funny. I moved here and um, I decided, you know what, I I need help. You know, I need the mental help. I need help. Russ, I'm gonna you know, even though I'm sober, you know, I'm gonna eat a gun sometime. I need help. So I made an appointment and I went to go see the doctor. I come home and I'm shaking my head. My wife's like, What? I'm like, You're not gonna believe who my doctor was. She's like, Who? Her name was Dr. Seuss. <laughs> oh <laughs> spelled it the same way too. No, S O O S. Okay, but still and uh oh. You Know and that kind of just broke the ice, and uh, but she's been my therapist uh you know, for eight years now, yeah. so and I have nothing but great things to say about the VA in New Jersey, yeah. but that's just my you know, that's my experience. Yeah, Everybody has experience. different experience,
2: yeah, and uh, I hope that that has gotten better in other states as well. Um, I'm out in Arizona. I know that they've uh, they've struggled, but it is uh, it is getting better. But it is something that our country absolutely has to pay attention to. Um, Richard, you're you're very active in a in a Facebook book group uh, known as the uh, vetrapreneur yep. Tribe. Uh, yep. There's tell me tell me all about this this uh, group and how it helps.
1: Well, there's two you know, groups that I'm be involved in is um, the first group I'm very involved in. is called Success Engineers with Dr. Robert Garcia. That's the first group I'm very involved in. Mm-hmm. And um, that's for uh, people that are in business. And then the second group is the Vetrepreneur Tribe. What it is, is there's like 14,000 of us mm-hmm. that are all veterans, but we're all in business. Oh. So, um, you know, we're able to say, you know what, you know, if you're struggling with something in business, well, we got your back, you know, we'll be able to help you with this. Or if you have a question in business wise, somebody else is going to help you out. So it's, it's, it's very, it's a pretty amazing group. And um, out of the group, there's like six of us and I call them my amigos. Mm -hmm. Um, We've become like our inner circle. There's like, you know, Five or six that were more like family, but the vet vetpreneur tribe is truly amazing. We we get together every year, um, we have a lot of special guests come and, and come and talk to us. And uh, this year, I think Damon John is one of them that are going to come to come to the to our uh, our thing. So it's it's pretty fun. But like I said, you know, for me starting out, how do you know I didn't. All of a sudden, um, you know, back then I was uh, 40 years old. Mm -hmm. I'm retired. What do I do in my life now? Right. You know, I'm no longer Richard, you know, Sergeant Kaufman. Now I'm a civilian. Right. You know, I want to start a business, but what do I do? And I found this group and they've helped me through, you know, everything that I'm, they helped me get the book out. They helped me start the podcast. They, you know, they help me get appearances. So, you know, they're, they're an amazing group and you have to be a veteran to join mm-hmm. and you don't have to be an entrepreneur unless you want to be an entrepreneur. Yeah. yeah.
2: They'll help you. And, yep. uh, and you think about it, uh, you know, they say hire a vet, but you know, I can't really think of, uh, who would be a better employee, who would be a better business owner because they've learned, uh, throughout their lives uh, a discipline uh finding the best ways to uh, solve a problem to complete a mission and so i hope that more and more uh, opportunities uh, come veterans way as far as starting businesses that uh, is fantastic and and i'm 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 really glad to hear about this facebook group that uh, really encourages that but i like you said you don't have to own a business to be a part of it if you're a veteran yeah. And, and uh, you know,
1: yeah. Some you know, there's good things about hiring a veteran, and then there's some kind of bad things about hiring a veteran. Yeah. Like, say, if you hired me to work at your office, we're trained. We go home when the mission's complete. Yeah. You know, you get people that come in; they, they're looking at their clock. They're going home at four o'clock, and you get a veteran and be like, "Hey, the work's not done.
2: Yeah, right. we
1: still we still got work to do." That is like a
2: bad, bad employee. Me, employee to me. I think that uh, that would be would be great. But uh, yeah, but like like you said, uh, yeah, they're they're going to outwork anybody, and uh, somebody who doesn't want to try and keep up with that may have an issue. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know, not all, every veteran has these issues in any sense, but there are there's a lot of them, and we need to continue to do whatever we can to help them. And it's it's great to have people like you out there. Uh, who are are actively every single day trying to do something to to change their lives? Um, what is your advice to somebody who uh, may be like that—a veteran who's struggling? Uh, you know, it may not even be with an addiction to alcohol or drugs, but uh, you know, for whatever reason, they may have PTSD, but they're struggling in their lives. What what is your advice to them?
1: Um. Well, I always, you know, there's a couple things that I always, when I talk to somebody, Um, humble yourself because life will eventually humble you. If you don't, if you don't get humbled, God will humble you. Mm -hmm. And uh, well, three things is humble yourself. um, Ask for help and then get a good mentor you know, those are the three things I think are, they're all life-changing. You know, if you get a, if you ask for help, it should be number one. Yeah. Because um, sometimes that's all you need to do because there's so many people out there that are willing to help. But if I don't know you're hurting then I can't help you. Yeah. But and you have to be humble in order to ask for help.
2: Yeah. And Richard, where is the, first place for them to start what what should be their first call their first outreach
1: um well i have a friend right now that i'm actually i'm helping we're talking and uh he he said you know i'm sick and tired of being sick and tired what do i do i said call your va and uh they got he's right now he's in uh va in a rehab so that would be the first place that i would you know ask you know call the VA crisis hotline. Yeah,
2: and uh, I think a lot of people thought or, or in, in years past that uh, they weren't very responsive, but it, it seems as though things are changing. And, uh, you know, that is a great place to start. If you don't get the response you want, then then go somewhere else. But uh, uh, another VA or or some of these, there's groups in every single city they will, they will help you. I think, uh, you know, I am not a veteran. I, I have not, uh, you know, I've done a lot of, uh, work with through my, what I do for a living, but, uh, the guys that have been there, there's somebody out there. I I'm telling you right now who can help you. And, uh, what can people do to help out there to help what you help you guys continue to do what you do?
1: Well, you know, I tell everybody, you know, and I'll put it on my Facebook page at least once, once a day that, you know if you know a veteran you know just ask them how are you and you of course you're going to get the standard answer yeah i'm okay um sometimes you have to ask and say how are you really doing and a lot of times they'll you know they'll well you know i'm i'm kind of struggling today you know sometimes you know like i talked to a, a guy he was on he was watching one of my facebook lives that i do every week and he actually had a weapon in his mouth when he heard me talking and he put it down and he decided to go for help. So sometimes it's just being there for somebody like somebody might be watching this episode whenever it comes out and might be realizing, you know what? I need help. Yeah. And it's okay if you need help, you know, like I say, you know, it's an old cliche, but it's okay not to be okay, but it's not okay to not get
2: help. Absolutely. Uh, hear that message, uh, folks, if, uh, who's ever listening, if that's something you're dealing with, uh, make that call, just reach out to, uh, another veteran, uh, some uh, like I said, in every single community, there are people that are really more than willing to help you out and they will point you in the right direction, get you connected to people that are going to, that are going to help you. Uh, how can uh, folks listen to get in touch with you, Richard? What's the, oh. I, I'll put up all
1: your links and everything, but, uh, well, the greatest thing, like what I said, you know, when I met Gary V, um, yeah. I said, "Gary, you know, you're you're like the guru, you're like the social media guru." I'm like, you know, give me a nugget before I leave here. And I drove all the way here. I want give me something that I can use. He says, "Well, make yourself a hashtag." And I, was, I looked at him I'm like, "What do you mean?" And he said, "Well, make yourself you a hashtag," and that's how the comeback coach became the hashtag to where anybody they want to know about me they can just hashtag the comeback coach and it'll come up on all my social media and it's free cool so that's how this whole comeback coach started and if they hashtag the comeback coach it'll come up on all my social media any interviews I've done uh Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, Pinterest blah blah blah, blah. okay and the Hashtag book of come the off.
2: comeback coach and uh, what's your podcast let the folks uh, know about that because they could uh, they could tune into
1: that right away um it's called your why powers your how because sometimes you know once you figure out your why everything else is easy but if you don't have a why you're never going to figure out your how
2: there you go folks your why powers your how and that's a that's <laughs> That, that, that is a, a great title i love it all right richard kaufman thank you so much uh for joining us it's uh, it's been a great conversation and i hope that anybody out there who uh may be struggling with uh, who's a veteran or a first responder uh really uh get help and anybody else out there who can uh you know, continue to help these people. If you, you know, if you've never done it before, you know, you can do it monetarily, you can do it by volunteering. But uh, this is something that, this is a problem in our country that we really need to address because these are the greatest Americans. These are people that get up every day. uh, They're out there uh, protecting people, uh, whatever it may be, saving lives or, uh, you know, just uh, protecting our country. Uh, we need to we need to take care of them. Uh, folks, if you listen to us on Apple Podcasts, uh, uh, please uh, subscribe. If you like what you hear, give us a five-star rating and a review. Also, you can follow us on Twitter at Upside of 40. And I really, I love to hear from you. You can email me at of 40 at gmail.com. That's of 40 at gmail.com. But uh, yep. anyway, Richard, it's, it's been great. And uh, I hope to have you back on soon.
1: Thank you, Sean. Just let me know when it comes out and I'll blow it out.
2: You got it. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody, to this episode of Upside of 40. I'm Sean Mooney, and I am
0: out.